0: Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with Season 2, Episode 2 of The Mod Man. It's a cracker. Uh, Before we get going, a massive thanks to everyone who has shared their joy at our return. It was really lovely to get your feedback using the hashtag MMIIMM2 on Twitter. Uh, A particular big up to Chester who says, I've just had reconstructive ACL surgery today. Uh, Apparently it's on the knee. Uh, and nothing apart from morphine and my doting partner has really helped me as much as listening to the modern man. Uh, Thank you, Chester. I guess all we need now is for the NHS to to buy a bulk batch of the podcast on prescription, and it will be plain sailing for us. Uh, Big thank you as well to the lovely people at the Never Miss a Beat blog, who have written a delightful thing about us. Uh, And as ever, if you have helped the show by buying us beer this week, uh, thank you. Uh, John, Peter, Helen, Alison, Dave, Phil, Simon, BJ, Andy, Robert, Amanda, Eric, Lisa, Barry and Sabrina. Uh, Plus a very special mention to the very generous Darcy, the incredibly named Stephen Chicken, crazy name, crazy guy, Uh, David, originally from Chigwell, now in Israel, and Roy, who says he is our number one fan in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I imagine that's a very competitive list, Roy. Uh, Well done for making it to the top. Uh, If you haven't donated yet and you can afford to buy us just one beer a month, head to modernman.co.uk and click beer money. Uh, Right, on this week's show you are going to learn what sweet treat Alex Fox names as her dream dessert. Uh, You're going to learn where you should definitely not shelter when you are documenting the war in Gaza. And you're going to hear Ollie Peart say uh, a really quite derogatory thing about Android users. Uh, If you are an Android user, feel free to get in touch with him on Twitter. He's at OllieEP. I'll enjoy that. Right, let's go. On this week's Modern Man.
1: I take different levels of body armour depending on the threat.
0: A war photographer on how to keep safe while shooting pictures of those shooting bullets at you.
3: I am the proud owner of my very first demo dick.
0: And Alex Fox has a multi-layered lesson on cross-dressing. But first, it's the moment we all catch up with all the really important news of the week that until now has somehow passed us by. Ollie Peart is here with the Zeitgeist. Hello, Olly. Uh, bonjour, monsieur. Oh, is your first trend en français? No. Oh, well, it was an interesting gimmick. Yep. What is your first trend of the week?
2: Pets. Pets? In China, there is a, uh, a surge of people buying fennec foxes. It
0: sounds like, you know, um, on the King's Road, they call people Sloan's. Yes. Like a fennec fox would be sl- like a, a woman who lunches in fennecs in the 70s. That would be slang for an upmarket West Londoner.
2: But it's not that. Right. It is a Saharan-based fox with massive ears, which uh, have practical use. They, they help dissipate heat. But they also have a, uh, you know, another less favourable quality, and that is that it makes them incredibly cute. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese, as a result of one thing, are buying up fennec foxes in vast numbers for huge amounts of money, $3,000 a pop, because of a film called Zootropolis. Or it is also called Zootopia. Have you heard of this film? Is that the new Disney film? It's a new Disney film, yeah. Yeah, great. I have heard of it. But I'm not really interested in the film. What, what worries me, right, is it creates these pet trends. And I was thinking about other Disney films that have done the same, yeah. or other films that have done the same. Mm. And yeah. actually, it's really bad. I started looking into it a little bit more because I wanted to see what pet trends had... You could probably guess a few. But
0: by looking into it more, did you find a BuzzFeed listicle on the subject? Y- y- there is one. Is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course What's so. number
2: one? Ratatouille is up there. Okay, so people didn't buy rats. Did they, they bought rats. Did pets they? at home. Pets at home reported a fifty percent increase in rat sales.
0: Surely the most popular one is Nemo, right? That's the right. everyone. knows. Yes.
2: Yeah. So Nemo, right? So Ratatouille's is not actually that bad because you buy a rat, you have in a cage. Actually, it's absolutely fine. But the thing with Nemo, right? That actually caused a decline in some corals of seventy-five percent in clownfish. Wow. Yeah, as a result of a Disney film.
0: Yeah. That's insane. That is insane. I know people bought owls because of Harry Potter as well.
2: That is insane. You
0: really need to know how to keep an owl, and, and you've got to make sure it's nowhere near your pet rat
2: but only up until the last film went out. So in 2011, there was a uh, an owl sanctuary and they were looking after six owls, which doesn't really sound like much of a sanctuary. It's no. a, that's just a it's hobby, isn't it? It's an owl club. <laughs> yeah, but after that 2011 <laughs> film went out, yeah. it went to over 100 owls because they were like, Ugh, it's not on trend now, is it? I'll get rid of me owl. Yeah.
0: You see campaigns around this. There was one just now because of Easter, wasn't there, which was Don't buy a rabbit at Easter.
2: By complete coincidence, I was in Pets at Home just the other day buying a rubber chicken. It's absolutely true. And uh, I saw two rabbits for sale. And you how do much... have a dog, don't you, to yeah, be clear. I, I do, yeah. but I wasn't buying them for that, but whatever. Was how it... much do you think two rabbits are? Is it gonna be on your tax return, this rubber chicken? Did you use it for work? <laughs> yeah, it's work okay, related. Fine. It's work related. There were three. Amazing. I bought three. What uh, a life. Yeah, but how much are two rabbits? Do you say how much do you think two rabbits are? Two rabbits from yeah. pets at home. Yeah. I think the rabbits are
0: quite cheap. I reckon two for 25 quid. Uh, see, they were two for 50 quid, but I thought, right. I thought that was cheap.
2: Did you? Maybe I'm just Mr. Moneybags. How much do you think a, a rabbit's worth? I'd say one rabbit would be like 50 quid. Would you? I mean, that's a lot of joy. They saw you coming. Anyway, Turner and Hooch, massive sale rise in uh, French Mastiffs. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 101 Dalmatians.
0: Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Surely people weren't buying 101 of them.
2: Maybe not, but there was a shelter in Miami, mm. and they accumulated 130 abandoned Dalmatians after that film. Uh, which would have normally taken them about two and a half years to accumulate. And Babe was another one. Babe, but well, this is pigs, what happened. Really? He, yeah, huge, huge demand for pigs, and uh, pork sales went down.
0: No. <laughs> yeah.
2: So if that was the case, what films are coming out this year that will create a trend you for predict animals? Predict a trend. Yeah. So yeah. Jungle Book is out now. Right. So Bengal tigers, snakes. Yeah. yeah. Bears. Bears. Yeah. They're, they're all going to be on the endangered list. Uh-huh. People go and hunt them. Finding Dory is out in June.
0: It's not actually about a John Dory, is it?
2: Well, no, they're called Blue Tang Fish.
0: Oh, I see, Dory's the name of the...
2: Fi- it's a sequel to Finding Nemo. You've seen it? Finding Nemo? Yes. Yeah, so you know Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she's the, uh, she's the fish. <laughs> it's
0: been a long time since I saw Finding Nemo. It's a great film. I'm not saying it isn't. I've just forgotten there was a character called Dory. I thought you were saying that in the sequel they're actually trying to find literally a John Dory fish, which is like a white fish you have on a grill.
2: But the point is, is that I predict...
0: You can predict it, yeah.
2: That these fish... Yeah are going to become endangered.
0: Well, you need to go to your mates at Pets at Home, who you've managed to reference twice on this show
2: already, and give them your advice. I mentioned Pets at Home last week as well. I did? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I rang Amazing. them up. I rang up their PR office. Yeah. well, So uh, if you feel like sending me a free rabbit, go for it.
0: Or another rubber chicken. <laughs> Why not? You can never have too many. <laughs> yeah. What's the next trend?
2: Shakespeare.
0: Uh, okay, I'm guessing an app where you can order milkshakes and it's a bit like a speakeasy.
2: No, that sounds quite good. You should probably go and develop that. But no, it's not. It's an app okay. to mark the four hundredth anniversary of Shakespeare's death or birth. have I look that up? I know he wrote Hamlet in sixteen hundred. Don't I? Don't know. All I so know. So death. About, well, no. All I know about. No death. Is Couldn't it be is birth death. Because he wrote Hamlet in sixteen hundred. I know that. I find that incredible that you've worked that out. Let me tell you what it's at. SwiftKey. Yeah. Do you use SwiftKey? I if do
0: you... use SwiftKey. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They've released a press release, have they? Well done, them.
2: No, they haven't. They've released. Well done
0: for getting through your high standards of journalism. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they released a press release, which I saw, which it was about an app that they've developed, which when you type, it yeah. types it in ye old Shakespearean oh, English. Oh, OK. That's okay. quite fun. Yeah, yeah so so It's a bit my... like
0: that pirate filter you can get. I'm
2: not interested in the app because I wasn't able to test it because I don't have an Android phone because I'm a normal person. Okay. I wanted to talk to you about Shakespeare's contribution to the English language. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk about... This
0: is your trend of the week. <laughs> <Do>
2: you...
0: <laughs> Something is... that's been widely remarked upon <laughs> since the days of Dr Johnson. <laughs> no,
2: but I thought we could go through words basically i wanted to give you a little quiz because mm. i did a little quiz with you last week and i thought it went quite well it, went, it was quite a good feature yeah yeah so i'm going to do another one and i call it Shakespeare or not Shakespeare.
0: that is the question
2: that is the question yeah. but i didn't want to put that on the title because i thought it'd be too obvious yeah okay yeah i'm going to give you some words yeah and you've got to tell me yeah if they're from shakespeare or not go on first word yes swagger swagger There's people at home shouting. They're shouting at their their iPods. No one has iPods
0: anymore. I think we all know that swagger originated in the song Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5, so therefore not Shakespeare.
2: Oh, you're wrong. It was Shakespeare. Was it Shakespeare? It was. What what play was it? Henry V, Act 2, Scene, IV, 4. Next word. Yep. Twat.
0: Hmm. Shakespeare. I'm going to say Shakespeare, and I'm going to say, I've got to guess now, King John... Act three, scene
2: one. I'm so glad you said Shakespeare, because my brain functioned properly in fooling you. (laughs) Because I would have said that, because he was famous for doing some swear words, wasn't he? Yeah, was it Chaucer? I bet it was Chaucer in the twat. Actually, origin unknown. Give me another. Geezer. Okay, so I would have said
0: not Shakespeare, but since the last one wasn't, I think you've alternated, so I'm going to say Shakespeare.
2: Oh, you should have, you should have sensed oh, the double bluff. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not it's, Shakespeare. Uh, not Shakespeare. Yeah. It was a 1885 variation of the word Cockney Geyser, uh-huh. which meant mama, which was a mime artist or mime actor. Very
0: nice. Okay. Look at that. You're learning something. Sort of. I mean, so far we've only actually learned one Shakespearean thing, which was the purpose of this game. Puking. Well, I'm going to have to guess Shakespeare again, I suppose. You're not going to do a triple bluff.
2: Yeah, but I thought I'd give you that one. Yeah, that's a Shakespeare one. Yeah. Uh, but for the bonus point.
0: Yeah, which play? Yeah. Uh, pff, the Tempest, Act 2, Scene 4. Oh,
2: puking was from As You Like It, Act 2, Scene 7. OK, last one. Mm-hmm. Mortgage.
0: I'm going to say not Shakespeare.
2: Well done. It's not Shakespeare. It comes from the French expression meaning death pledge. Huh. Interesting, yes. isn't it? mortgage. Which makes complete sense. Yes. I've you... educated Ollie, man. Amazing.
0: Yes. It's like goodwill hunting. Yeah, kind of. Well... I don't know how to follow that. I, I imagine the Bard would end it soon because uh, he knew when to leave on a high. But uh, nonetheless, I also imagine you have one more thing to tell me about. I do. Go on.
2: Wasps. Right. I saw a story about Chris Packham. Love Chris Packham. Uh, who doesn't? Who? Do- yeah, right. If, if you, you don't-, don't
0: like Chris Packham, then get in touch with us now uh, at The Modern Man on Twitter because I, I'd like to interview you because you're one of the only people in the world.
2: Anyway, there was a story that's come out where he basically admitted to allowing wasps to lick jam off his daughter's face. Yeah, and he that is quite disgusting, isn't it? Uh, When she was just five, and he said that, uh, quote, this is a quote from The Mirror, actually, so it was important to me that Megan grew up with animals all around.
0: Yeah, but I bet he's got
2: some rationale, which is I bet he was teaching, you know, if you don't harm them... They don't harm you. It's obviously struck a nerve nationwide because it was trending fourth on Google today. So people are obviously interested. And it is. We are actually going into wasp season. Mm. So I thought, what an opportunity to talk about wasps. They are actually really useful because they're pollinators. So you shouldn't kill wasps, Ollie. Do you kill
0: wasps? I don't kill wasps, but I very firmly urge them towards the window.
2: I have a life hack that will solve your problems with wasps. Wow. Peppermint (laughs) oil. They hate that. Really? Yeah, so go out and buy that up. Sounds a bit like bollocks, though. You know when we were pregnant it 's all about
0: drinking a certain type of tea induces labor that was bollocks, and I think peppermint oil that's probably bollocks as you well think so I think sometimes what Holland and Barrett do. Is they find this stuff that isn't selling and then they attach it to a, a ridiculous remedy or cure that it's got nothing to do with.
2: It's just bullshit. Yeah. They're just peddling bullshit. Yeah. yeah. No, they're
0: trying to sell peppermint oil. I think it, You're doing their dirty work for them.
2: My other half buys into that. Yeah. I had a kale shake this morning. Oh no. Oh god, it's like drinking soil. Kale yeah.
0: exactly was a thing that wasn't selling and then everyone said superfood. Yeah. And now everyone's drinking it. Yeah. I've yeah. been
2: sold the bullshit drink. Exactly.
0: We're not here to do Holland and Barrett's work for them. We're here to support pets at home. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, If people have a trend that they'd like to suggest for a future edition of the show, Ollie, what should they do with it?
2: Well, they should tweet us, at The Modern Man. Or, that's pretty much it, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Ollie. Cheers, Ollie. Bye. Bye.
0: Now, think of the words, war photographer, and you probably picture a hardened bloke knocking back whiskey, smelling of sweat, and almost certainly wearing linen and a gilet. Uh, Well, the photojournalist Alison Baskerville isn't quite like that, Uh, although that said, we met on a cold afternoon in Sheffield and despite that she was still wearing some sort of breathable fabric. Uh, She is a former RAF officer whose photos of soldiers on the front line and women in conflict zones around the world are obviously the product of someone who has lived it as well as documented it. It's a career path that she found herself drawn to ever since being a teenager.
1: I kind of started to get interested in the army because I had a boyfriend at the time who was in the territorial army. I kind of saw it as this kind of thing that you could do where you could have a lot of fun, you could travel, go away, earn some money. And I never, ever, ever thought about the impact of being in the in the military. I just thought it looked like a load of fun because... It just seemed that he went away every weekend and did a lot of drinking um, and had fun with his mates, and I thought, well, i quite like to do that.
0: And then you found yourself in Iraq.
1: That was a huge culture shock in so many different ways. I'd never been outside outside of Europe before. I'd never seen an area that was affected by poverty, that had been affected by war. So um, it was a kind of very brutal sensory overload, really.
0: And... Then you discovered photography. Looking back on it now, was that an urge to document what you were seeing or was it just a hobby?
1: It's always been an urge to document what I'm seeing. I've never really felt like photography was a hobby to me, Um, which is hard to explain sometimes because I think most people who talk about photography talk about it as their hobby, as something they do for fun. I've never seen it like that. I've always wanted to photograph real things that are happening that affect people I've always had quite a strong moral view on my use of photography I've never really done it for fun I don't understand what that is <laughs> and yes of course my colleagues saw it as a, as a hobby but you know soldiers in photography we you know love to take pictures I mean you look at Iraq and Afghanistan the amount of photographs that soldiers were taking of what was going on is huge
0: and what was it that you could document that perhaps even professional photographers at the time couldn't?
1: It's that stuff that happens at night, like when everyone's gone. You know, because when there's an embed there, they're not they're not really there all the time. They're given like a, a certain amount of time to spend with the troops. But an, an embed is know. a
0: professional photographer who spends yeah, time with the military,
1: like, like a journalist or a photographer. When they're embedded, they see a bit of the day to day, but it's it's kind of closely monitored by a. A media handler. It's not the same as being one and being in that. So, you know, at night, we'd have bingo nights in Iraq, you know. We'd make uh, bingo numbers out of tops of water bottles. We had one called Old Biddy's Bingo Evening, where we just dressed up as um, old ladies going to bingo using sleeping bag covers um, and talcum powder to make a hair white. And that was one of the most memorable nights because it was so much fun. There was no alcohol, it was just water. But we made up our own entertainment and I took pictures of things like that because I thought, how am I going to explain this to people at home?
0: Despite the fact that some of the most revealing photos are the ones of people in their downtime, if you like, or people on the base camp, the ones that get published a lot are the ones, of course, of people actually engaged in arm-to-arm combat or Mm. someone sadly just been injured or even uh, fatally injured. Yeah. Um, when did you start bringing your camera along to combat? And how did you negotiate that as part of the uh, military yourself?
1: Well, I never really did that. I mean, in Iraq, I took my camera around with me, but I never compromised my my first job, which was to be a soldier, right? I never chose between my camera and my gun until I actually did became a military photographer as a reservist. Then I did have to make that choice because... I, that was my military job as an army photographer, but I still had to defend myself and my colleagues. So there was one particular incident um, in Afghanistan where we were being shot at, and the soldier next to me had a stoppage, which means his rifle stopped firing. Now the way that you engage in a, a firefight is you put down what we call a baseline, or you have you fire back at the at the Taliban, at the enemy. And so he'd lost this gap because he had a stoppage. Now, I had a weapon, so I took his position on the wall and carried on shooting for him while he cleared that out. And then when he came back, I carried on taking photos again. It felt almost instinctive to be able to do that.
0: Let's say a soldier is doing something you disagree with. You know that you have a journalistic instinct to take the photo. Yeah. That's tricky.
1: It is, and that's why I left the reserves, because um, I felt that I was lucky because I'd never really seen anything that pushed that question but I knew that maybe it's one day they would and I'm producing this work now um, independently about women in the British Army and yes of course I have some loyalty to those women because I was one but at the same time I wanted to be in that neutral position that if if one of the women I interviewed came up to me and said this happened to me I wanted to be in a position to be able to talk about it and that's why I left it I knew that I had to leave the military family entirely so that I could represent the people that I care about properly, not not feeling like I'm being censored or controlled.
0: You also ended up documenting the lives of Afghan women uh, whilst you were in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, that was your sort of secret mission, wasn't it, whilst you were supposed to be documenting the <laughs> army?
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why? Um, because, again, after Iraq and thinking more about this i had no concept of the population that we were affecting i had no concept of their lives how they lived and how they saw us right who how did they feel about us being there and And how did
0: they feel about you being there
1: well um some didn't care some saw us as like the enemy some saw us as a good source of money on food you know to help them to support them
0: and some i imagine wouldn't want their photo taken i mean most, you're talking about especially most. in areas that have seen the taliban women aren't going to want to have their picture taken
1: that's not even it's not even to do with that it's cultural right so women in afghanistan are very shy about being photographed children not so much women no um it's it's quite taboo to photograph them unless you have their consent and. I always try and do that anyway. I don't really want someone being photographed who's really opposed to it. That's not That doesn't fit with the way that I work. So I try to get some form of a relationship with those women, which is hard because you don't speak Pashto. So you have to do that through an interpreter. What do you say? I just tell them who I am and why I'm there. And, you know, as I'm honest. I just say sometimes that maybe... Someone will see this photograph, maybe no one will see this photograph, but I really want to document your life here, because I think it's important. And women should have a, more of a voice in conflict reporting than they have at the moment. It's still very much male-dominated, and I think that comes with the idea of it being tough and hard and dangerous. But if you think about the fact that these women in Afghanistan live through that war day in, day out, this kind of way that we try and make people like conflict reporters look like heroes is bullshit because you are a privileged person who's got money and a passport and equipment to go and report on this stuff. You're not special. And yet you're reporting on people who've got absolutely no chance of getting out of that. They're the brave ones. I think I think the a, a moment that happened to me, um, I think it was last year, no, it was the year before last year, um, which reminded me that in that moment I took a portrait of somebody and I moved on and I, I did it a picture of someone else. And um, you sometimes forget that you've recorded these things. And I often work for the British Legion as their photographer during the Festival of Remembrance. Now, during that element of the festival, there's a, or during the festival, there's a moment where they have um, a moment to reflect on those that died during that year. And the families of those who were lost to war then come out, right? Uh, and it's, a really, it's always a, a hugely sad occasion. And my role is to photograph that from quite far <laughs> up in the sky in the Albert Hall because I can't get in the way of the TV cameras. So I've kind of got like this space to myself right in the upper tier of the Albert Hall. And it's always a very sad moment. A warrant officer called Ian Fisher was killed um, in an IED and it was his second tour of Afghanistan and I had been there on his first tour of Afghanistan and I photographed Ian on one particular operation quite extensively. So I had loads of pictures of him. So when they put on the V T tape where they show the the screen of the the picture of the of the guy that's been killed, they were some of those were my photographs. And that's the first time I'd seen them because at that point I'd photographed them for the MOD, so they used them on his showreel. And it was a really strange moment, and I'm just glad that I was up in the top tier of the Albert Hall <laughs> so I could have a bit of an emotional moment to myself. And I I just felt really odd because I went down and spoke to his wife and said, I was the army photographer with Ian and took those pictures. Please let me send you all the others. Because there was loads of stupid ones of him, like, mucking about, Um, with his guys and I just gave them all the pictures and then you realize that you can take these pictures and they are just seen by someone forgotten about moved on but you've got all these hard drives full of all these um, people's lives and and you think well if you ever question what it is that you're doing it might be something really small just to be able to say hey I've got loads of pictures of your husband who's no longer with you they're really daft ones but that's part of that collective memory people come into this thinking that they're going to change the world and their picture is going to save everybody from starvation it's rubbish it's rubbish it adds to the collection of all the other pictures that tell that message but maybe when they're all combined together maybe it will make a small amount of progress
0: So you're not embedded anymore and you're not with the military anymore. As you say, you made a decision to leave and go freelance, but you do go back and document the same sort of stories. Mm. Are you, uh, you know, like a lot of us imagine, kind of staying in a hotel with Rage (laughs) Omar, are you all in the same place? uh, Or (laughs) do you just create your own path?
1: Um, A little bit of both. I mean, for me, that decision is made on the threat. Now, in Gaza, a couple of years ago, I first of all went in independently and stayed in a in a consulate building which was a big mistake because I was in an area where Hamas were quite heavily firing rockets from which meant that stuff was coming back so I then decided to stay with all the rest of the media and stick together and sometimes you need to have strength in numbers because there is that danger there um, and obviously, different broadcasters have different security provisions with them. So, you know, you can almost jump on the back of that as a freelancer. However, when it comes to the stories, uh, most of us will try and create our own path.
0: What is the equipment that you do need to take with you to stay safe?
1: I'm uh, probably more risk-averse than most because of my experience, and also that military training That's has made me...
0: A lot of people would imagine that would make you a bit more gung-ho. It's the opposite.
1: Not at all. I think it's the opposite because you you've been trained to know what the risks are, and then you've experienced them, and it gives you more. Most of the die-hard freelancers go into these places because they know nothing different, right? So, <laughs> so they get these amazing pictures because they've put themselves at horrendous risk, and sometimes lost their lives for it. So um, I take different levels of body armor depending on the, again, on the threat. Um, If it's a riot or a demonstration, then I might take just a very thin body armour that's up to spike-proof or, you know, pistol. But if I'm going to somewhere like Afghanistan, I'll take like the highest level I can because the threat's higher. Um, I often take a helmet. I always take a medical kit because, you know, sometimes it's not just those... People think about all these traumatic injuries. It could be that you just get really bad diarrhoea and you haven't got any travel stuff with you. And people John Simpson all never about- talks about that. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to. Cause it doesn't sound so exciting. <laughs> but it's true. Like you're going to a new environment. You might get stomach problems. You could get all the same things that other travelers get. You're not different because you're going to a war zone. You still get all those problems. And there's always this thing about taking something that's a comfort, right? Something that connects you back to home. What's um, that for you? Earl oh, Grey tea and uh, a bar of nice soap and occasionally (laughs) decent coffee. (laughs) What do you miss
0: about Afghanistan when you're back here?
1: The tea. Oh, it's amazing. I love Afghan chai.
0: Well, why are you bringing Earl Grey with you for then? (laughs) Why aren't you bringing Afghan tea back here?
1: I think the Earl Grey is uh, a psychological reminder of home. It's not because I necessarily love it. Um, But um, I do take Afghan... Afghan chai is just green tea. But the way they make it out there, I don't know. Something about it reminds me of afghanistan
0: okay you're listening to this and you want to take a photo of your local town meeting or your son's bar mitzvah or whatever it is what are your tips for making sure that you are going to take a decent photo (laughs)
1: take the lens cap off (laughs) (laughs) that's always a good start make sure you've got charged batteries make sure you've checked the memory cards in the camera I'm saying these things because these are all things I've done before I've gone out on assignment I've
0: gone and interviewed someone and realised afterwards I haven't captured any of it It oh great that's a a
1: moment and you can have like a 6,000 pound camera but it's the composition that's important and understanding it looking at other people's photography and why does this picture work um, and all these basic things like rule of thirds, they they're there for a reason. So having a good understanding of foreground, midground, background, um, placing things in the shot that are interesting, um, and practice, just lots and lots of practice.
0: I mean, it's interesting that you say that it's mostly about sort of instinct and composition rather than the camera. I mean, do yeah. you have a favourite camera? Do you have the equivalent of the guitarist who says, "Oh, I always use this Gibson from 1983"? Does it? Is is there one that has particular uh, resonance for you or it really doesn't? Just the
1: one that hasn't broken yet. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one that's... I've got a Canon 5D Mark III that's probably about to die soon, but it's got huge sentimental value because it's been with me on every assignment for the past six years. And that might seem a bit odd, but I don't really get excited about lenses and cameras. I just get excited about what they create. And how I can use those to capture these extraordinary people that I meet on almost a daily basis. So that's it. It's just a tool, really.
0: Alison Baskerville there. And if you want to see some of her amazing photos, do have a look at our website, uk. Uh, There are some of them there. Uh, Or, of course, many more on Alison's own website, alisonbaskerville.co.uk. Or find her on Instagram, at Alison Baskerville. This episode of The Modern Man is sponsored by Drive Now. If you live or work in the northeast of London, then this is the car-sharing app for you. Drive Now allows you to find a car, drive it, and drop it anywhere in Islington, Hackney or Haringey. Uh, I'm in King's Cross at the moment, outside a lovely new Mini. Let's see how easy this is to use. Uh, No keys, I just use my app to open the car door and my pin to start the engine. And now I can drive off without any of the hassle of actually owning a car it's not just minis they've got a fleet of bmws as well very classy and you can drop it in any resident parking or pay and display in the area for free and there's no worries about fuel tax or insurance that's all included find out more by searching drive now london right can't stay and chat i have a foxhole to find let's get back to the show It is time for our weekly trip down the foxhole. Who is here but Alex Fox?
3: Just me, on my own, down my lonely foxhole.
0: (laughs) And your questions, of course. And we will be getting to your question of sex shortly. But first, Alex, I understand congratulations are in order. You are a qualified... Dick demonstrator.
3: Yes, I am the proud owner of my very first demo dick. Amazing. And it's blue. It looks like Papa Smurf schlong. (laughs) I chose one that wasn't skin coloured, so it could be anyone's dick if they were really, really cold. I've been training with Brooke, who are a sexual health advisory charity, who are amazing, uh-huh. uh, and I'm now fully qualified to advise young people on how to use condoms, and, and I can sign them up for schemes where they can get them for no money, which is brilliant.
0: So are you like the fun version of that really creepy guy who came to my sick form with a briefcase full of condoms and administered them on a cucumber? Is it, you're the fun version now that goes around schools doing that? Or exactly
3: what? that. And I've been learning some very interesting <laughs> things during the training as well. There's some, there's some really quite unusual things that people are doing with doms at the moment.
0: I didn't even know they were still a thing.
3: Neither did I. So 90s, isn't it, the Femidom? Yeah, it's like one of those things where I'll I'll be honest, I thought Femidoms were one of those things where sexual health professionals went, and then there's the Femidom. But the subtext was, which nobody uses. Might as
0: well fuck a plastic
3: bag. That's what people think. However, Brooke did this pop-up shop, appropriately enough, where they were giving away loads of free condoms and the femidoms were disappearing at a rate of knots. And you should knot them up afterwards, actually, to stop all the the guns coming out. And Brooke were really intrigued as to why the femidoms were so popular with these young people. And they discovered that there are two main reasons behind this. One is that, um, have you ever seen a femidom? Ollie.
0: yeah uh, yeah
3: yeah it's it it looks it looks like a larger larger condom but with with a kind of flexible plastic ring yeah. in in the middle that usually would sit over the cervix mm-hmm. inside the vagina you can actually take that little ring out so you're left with a big baggy condom people are poking those up their bottoms to use during anal sex uh, because they're apparently more comfortable sort of like a baseball catching mitt Ah. Uh, apparently they're they're more comfortable for bum sex and the other thing they're doing which I found both interesting and horrifying
0: take it to Sainsbury's and saving the 5p
3: no, apparently young women, whereas you need to put a condom, a standard condom on only when your partner is erect, with a femidom, you can put that in and leave it there hours before you intend to have sex. Ugh. So young women are putting them in, going Just out in and case. getting absolutely slaughtered, oh, completely no. shit-faced, yeah. uh, with the idea that then if they have sex, they'll be protected, but they don't have to um, mess around with trying to get a johnny on somebody's todger when they, they're too drunk to bother with that fumbling, yeah. which better, better I, than the
0: alternative, I guess. If, if she's so drunk, so, she if, doesn't know that she's wearing a femidom. Probably too drunk. If
3: you're so drunk that you can't get a condom on somebody's <laughs> on someone's schlong, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. But but a really interesting, I thought. Really interesting, kind of massively responsible and terrifyingly irresponsible at the same time.
0: Good stuff. Okay, well let's apply some of that educational knowledge that you have been accruing to this week's questionnaire, which is Sarah, uh, female name. Uh, but a a more complicated scenario than that might suggest.
3: This sounds intriguing.
0: Uh, Because he, I guess, identifying as a man, says... "Uh, Alex, please help me. I am scared and confused. I am a happily married man and have been for 17 years, but I've been a closet cross-dresser for as long as I can recall. Uh, From the school dress-up box, my sister's clothes, girlfriend's clothes and now my own secret stash. I love dressing up in bridesmaids and evening dresses... A few weeks ago, I joined a chat site and a guy started talking to me. He made me feel all warm and fuzzy as he told me he would romance me. I got very excited and I know he did too. Does this mean I am gay? Uh, I've never had any feelings for a man, but the way this man spoke to me made me wonder what it would be like to be held, kissed and caressed by a gentleman. What is wrong with me?
3: Wow, Sarah. There are a lot of layers in this question. It's like a Viennetta. It's like seven <laughs> vianettas stacked one on top of the other, yeah. which is my dream dessert. Okay, Short answer,
0: nothing wrong with you, right? You're exploring things. Nothing wrong
3: with you. Nothing wrong with you. Although I might suggest perhaps something wrong with the way you are potentially treating your wife here, but we'll get on to that. First of all, let's deal with the uh, the question, does this mean I'm gay? If I'm talking to a guy and fantasising or imagining what it might be like to have uh, a sexual encounter with a man... No, it doesn't mean you're gay. People fantasise about all sorts of things. Also, there aren't just two options in this world. It's not just you are straight or you are gay. Mm. Sarah might be bi. Sarah might be fluid. Sarah might like the idea of men um, but be happy to be married to a woman. There's, There's not just two options.
0: Not that labels are important anyway, but just to take the dictionary definition of the label... By definition, if you are married to a woman and you are having a sexual relationship, then you, you're not gay. You're bisexual, even if you are fantasizing about men, right? So, like this whole question should should I be worried? I'm gay. I mean, even if even if you take the pejorative element out of it, you're obviously bisexual at least, aren't you? If
3: you're saying you're, <laughs> if you're happily, you're also married, having sex yes. to a woman, <laughs> yeah. Surely, yeah.
0: Anyway, I'm just uh, getting hung up on the dictionary definition.
3: I wonder whether it's the idea of actually physically being with a man that's exciting, Sarah. Or the thrill of the taboo, because what I'm noticing in this letter are lots of secrets. I'm a closet cross-dresser. I'm doing this without anybody knowing. And incidentally, dressing up in women's clothes doesn't make you gay or transgender or or any of those things either. It makes you somebody that likes dressing up in different forms of clothes. Mm. Um, And I salute you on the bridesmaid dresses. I've got a few myself from charity shops.
0: Yeah, but there's still a distinction there, isn't there? Because... Like men who have a fetish for panties, for example, and putting them on. That's sexualized.
3: It might mean that you got off on the idea of doing something that you felt was naughty mm. or taboo. And what I'm noticing in this letter is that Sarah is getting a lot of kicks from doing things in secret. Yes. There's this secret cross-dressing. And perhaps more concerningly, there's secretly, I'm inferring this from what's been said, secretly talking to people in chat groups in a sexual manner if you've been happily married to somebody for 17 years but you're doing this amount of sexually charged stuff in secret this is what i think the real issue is here and i would if i was sarah i'd be thinking okay do i need to think very hard about having a diplomatic calm conversation with my wife about what was really going on I mean I do wonder after 17 years is he really a a closet cross-dresser or do you think his wife might have an idea
0: Mm. but then it's not always best to have the open discussion is it I mean she might not want to get into a conversation she might have signed up for that
3: That's true, and I do know people who've been married for many, many years, and when their partner has chosen to disclose to them that they're cross-dressing, it hasn't gone down well. Mm. So this is something he might need to think about. I think that the scenario becomes different when you're involving a third person who you're talking to via chat.
0: But in the the chat room scenario, in your mind, is that a step further on in terms of betrayal of your partner than porn is? Do you think that the, the element of chatting to a real person rather than looking at an image or a video, is that different in your mind as an act of betrayal on your spouse?
3: It's tricky. It depends on how you're approaching it as an individual. Um, Some people would argue that watching porn can be quite detached. You're just watching some strangers. Mm. Whereas interacting with someone in a chat room you, you, could be, you, know, you could argue that that's more intimate, that you're sort of having a, a relationship with mm. that person, arguably. And we don't know how the man that Sarah is chatting to feels either. Does, does that man believe that he is having a conversation with someone who, who may want to, to be sexually involved with him or romantically involved? This is what I mean when I say there's lots of layers here. There's a lot going on and I would prompt Sarah to think about when, when, when he says, I'm happily married... How happy really are you? And how happy is your wife? Is, the we- is, is everything that's going on here fair to all parties involved, mm. including the person in the chat room?
0: All of that said, though, actually, if you are into cross-dressing nowadays with the Internet, I imagine it's an actually quite exciting world, isn't it? In terms of being able to meet other people that are into that thing compared to what it must have been like 20, 30 years ago.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that for for any kind of intersectional mm. indulgence or, or fetish or whatever you want to call it, mm. um, I think increasingly cross dressing is being uh, it's more and more accepted. In fact, I went to um, a big industry t- trade show of uh, new sex toys and new erotic accessories and stuff, and there was a big stand there full of very masculine shaped underwear, but made of neon lace and and pearlized spandex and stuff like that. And it wasn't aimed at the gay market, it was for straight men who liked the idea of wearing traditionally masculine things like boxes. But in feminine, traditionally feminine fabrics. So there are many, many ways that you can indulge yourself if if this kind of thing titillates you.
0: And we are interested in whatever your peccadillo or perversion. If you have a question for Alex, what do you need to do?
3: Head over to our website, which is modernman.mawn.co.uk. Click on feedback and then pop your question our way.
0: Well, that is nearly it for this week's Modern Man. Remember, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes so that others can share in the pleasure. We are at itunes.com slash man, M-A-N-N. Uh, Arthur Moll from Austria has done that and hence becomes our Austrian ambassador. He says, The Modern Man is indeed a magazine for your ears. It's great and I love it. Was man braucht ist the modern man? Uh, Dunker Arthur, wunderbar Uh, Thanks for listening everybody Our music is by Django Django off their self-titled debut album and our earworm this week is by Twin Peaks It's called Walk to the One You Love It's out now on Communion Records and they play Camden Barfly on April the 19th I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill and we'll see you next Tuesday